chest, chestnuts roasting on an open fryer, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Do you feel him this morning? What a fun 30-degree morning. Is that right? 30s? Uh, it was a nippy one. How many of you uh, were surprised by the frost on your windshield? Anyone like, hey, what is this? Who, who, who's conspiring against my car? And uh, we got nipped. Hey, if you are visiting, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors. I'm surrounded by incredible elders at our church. So we've got a lot of people to care for people. People matter here at Adventure. The question I'm going to pose this morning is this. How do we not fear where we stand with God? And when should we fear where we stand with God? This was a real challenge for me as a young uh, 12 and 13-year-old. When I first placed faith in Jesus, I was mentored by an adult who sat down with me and we walked through the Gospel of Matthew and the, the teachings on Jesus just resonated with me. I was so excited and I am so grateful for all the adults that we have, uh, 10 or 15 of them that pour into junior high and high school young people and the some 60 or 70 adults that pour into children every weekend here. Put your hand together for volunteers. Seriously, what they do makes such a difference and this guy that spent time with me was just a really sharp guy who took time to open up the Bible and help me understand it. Well, as I started studying the Bible, I became aware, not being raised in a Christian home, of what a sinner I was. I thought I had everything together pretty well, but the more I learned from the Bible, the more I learned I had idolatrous temptations. I, was, I had idolatrous uh, uh, worship of rock bands like Led Zeppelin and uh, some of those uh, guys, Ted Nugent. Yeah, wow, scary days. And I had idolatrous uh, uh, infatuation with girls. Uh, Wow, who even knew? Yeah. And I loved sports. I mean, that's all I thought about. I competed in everything that anyone wanted to compete in. I mean, uh, spit wads through straws, darts, wrestling, whatever. And I had also this embarrassingly just fixation with me, <laughs> kind of that narcissism that we're all born into. Kind of like I discovered after I became a Christian, being raised in a non-Christian home. We, didn't, we weren't churchgoers. We didn't talk about Jesus in our home at all. All of a sudden, I realized what, how vulnerable I was to dishonoring God. I had no idea. And this would be kind of a challenge throughout my uh, teens and in college. It was, I was hypersensitive to where I stood with God. I remember I had a roommate in college for about a year. We were good friends, and then our friendship started getting tense. And I remember walking out of our dorm floor thinking, I cannot stand this guy. As I'm saying that to myself, I'm wearing cowboy boots, because that's what you do in the Midwest, I twist my ankle as I'm thinking, I can't stand him. I twist my ankle so bad, I'm like, I broke my whole leg. There's something wrong. Take me to the emergency room right away. And this was, you know, this was when early in sports, you didn't realize, yeah, you can take a bad sprain. It doesn't mean you broke it. Well, I thought I shattered it. And and it was fine. It was just a sprain. They sent me home. Toughen up, young boy. And now, years later, I still, whenever I twist my ankle, I think, hey, think a happy thought. Don't be thinking negative about somebody. Don't be critical because it may be that God, where I stand with him, he's going he's gonna to spring that ankle again so bad you could not even imagine it. 
So when I run, I run often at the North Natomas uh, Regional Park, and I run at night sometimes, especially this time of year when there's very few hours of sunlight. Uh, there are some irrigation potholes all around that park. Anyone a fellow sufferer? And when I step in one of those, in fact, about three weeks ago, I stepped in one of those irrigation potholes as I was running, and I just went flat on my back, immediately just ping on my back. Most important thing, I looked to make certain no one was looking at me, and uh, it was too dark. But the way I fell was just like a cushion. It didn't even hurt at all. And I went back, and I was like, how did that happen? You know, is it because you're old or because there was a legitimate thing that you fell under? I went back and there was an irrigation hole, a broad one that I stepped in. And the scripture says that God's angels watch over us, uh, that they protect us. And I literally said, God, thank you for an angel today that protected me. Moreover, I would say that, uh, that, that I think sometimes, gosh, if I had been thinking a bad thought the other night, oh my word, what would have happened? The other night, a dog chased me at North Thomas Regional Park. I'm not kidding. He wasn't after a treat. I was his treat. He wanted a bite out of me. Uh, I, I seriously, it's only happened once before in a run when I was a kid. I was like, all right, let's go. I mean, I don't mean to be violent towards dogs, but when they want a piece of ribeye out of my thigh, I'm ready to protect myself. And uh, luckily he went away. But I wondered, God, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? Where do you stand with God? How do you not fear where you stand with God when things happen, right? How do you not fear it? I remember the prayer, maybe you do as a kid. Do you ever remember this prayer? It's one, as a kid, I would never pray. No way. You'll hear it. You tell me if you pray this as a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. (laughs) I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I'm not praying that prayer. Are you serious? I'm, I'm, I'm an eight-year-old. I don't want to think about dying right now. I want to I sleep and, and, and not think about any negative thoughts. Where do you stand with God? And a question I want to answer today is, when should you fear where you stand with God? What is a legitimate fear as it relates to our standing with God? Because to say that we shouldn't fear God at all, would be misrepresenting the teachings of Jesus. So I hope to mention a few areas where we should fear God in our walk with Christ. In the first century, there were a group of people that had really been marginalized by society, really distant, really looked down on. They were the lowest of low. They were the, uh, they were the blue-collar workers that folks didn't even want to hang out with. They were treated negatively in fact if one of these guys ever fell down into a pit you were not obligated to help them out they were considered incompetent Uh, they were yet the backbone of uh, the hebrew society they were uh, just really despised they were considered thieves i'm talking about shepherds shepherds the backbone of hebrew society Uh, shepherds we have a backbone to our american economy Uh, that I only know to compare to shepherding because I worked in this industry for probably four years, two years maybe, in college, and it's the trucking industry. And I think truckers and shepherds have a lot in common. They work the A, B, and C shift. (laughs) They they are uh, very vulnerable to 
uh, a lot of temptation, late nights working. They're vulnerable to the, the uh, vulnerable to uh, prostitution, vulnerable to um, drug use, to stay awake. I know that was a problem when I used to work with truckers. And so there's a real vulnerability in trucking that there also is in shepherding. But here's the deal. American trucking has developed significantly just in the last 70 years. Here's an old Freightliner, uh, uh, Freightliner truck, 10-wheel truck, and Peterbilt's future truck. You can see the thin tires. It's incredibly aerodynamic. Uh, it also, no doubt, in the future will be electric. Uh, run, very, very efficient. This is the future. I think real the future in trucking might be captured by Amazon. Did you see that Amazon had its first drone delivery in Ohio this weekend? Maybe this is the future of trucking. And if you Google, you'll see that there are military trucks that fly. I don't know what their weight capacity is. Right now, this Amazon delivers about five pounds uh, max. You know, I don't know what the weight capacity is of trucks, but there are trucks that aren't helicopters, but they they drive like an SUV and then wings flop out and they fly around. Maybe that's the future of trucking. Uh, what about the development of shepherding? Shepherding really began in the biography of Abraham. It especially stood out with his, uh, with his grandson, Jacob, in about 1800 BC. This is what a shepherd would look like. It's an actual photo from 1800 BC. And you've got You've got a standard uh, rod there, or a standard staff that looks like it was whittled out of a, some cedar wood. You've got his normal tunic uh, with the undergarment and uh, head covering in the heat. He's got, no doubt, some um, camel or wood sandals, and uh, he's got four uh, sheep that he's overseeing in somewhere in Israel, somewhere in what was Canaan that Abraham was to inherit, and his descendants were to inherit, and they still have inherited it to this day. Now we're going to fast forward from 1800 B.C. to uh, 2000. We're talking about almost 2,000 years, almost 4,000 years. Fast forward and you've got modern day shepherding. You can see this uh, shepherd is uh, sporting uh, a polo, a kind of a tight fit. It helps with obesity, which is something that the Hebrews didn't struggle with. And then you can see the uh, the the. Uh, Parachute shorts he's got, new uh, fit. He's got the high-top Reeboks, which no doubt help him with all the mud when he's shepherding. Um, You can't see his smartphone in his left hand, but he's on MapQuest trying to find the best place to ensure that the sheep are taken care of. Here's my point. Shepherding hasn't developed much. (laughs) It's the same. There's no movement. (laughs) uh, They're still annoying. They still allow their sheep to feed on the, the acreage of a rancher. Uh, they're in the way. <laughs> that's, how, uh, sheep, that's how shepherds were. They were in the way. You know that feeling you have when you're on Del Paso Road on your way to I-5? Or you're on Del Paso Road trying just on Del Paso Road for a half hour, and you notice a big old rig in front of you, maybe two, maybe three in a row, how do you respond to that? How do you emote? Maybe just me. Oh, get out of that lane and move to an easier lane. Uh, shepherds were those kind of commercial transporters. When you saw them, you're like, oh, boy, I want to stay away from them. They stink. They eat everyone's grass. 
uh, and they don't have a how am I shepherding sticker on the back of their flock. So it's, they're just a pain. How do, you, how do you deal with them? Well, shepherds, they had to bear the brunt of all of this kind of disrespect. And they bore it for millennia. We're talking millennia of, of shepherding. And uh, there's hope for people like shepherds that feel stuck, that feel like uh, they're just locked into one particular uh, field, locked into one career, locked into relationships that don't seem to be moving, uh, locked into a, a particular health and fitness category. They're stuck. And uh, what I want to tell you it, today is that the key to, uh, to knowing where you stand with God is exactly what the shepherds experience. Would you like to know what that is? Would you like to know uh, how to know where you stand with God and uh, not be afraid? <laughs> That's what the shepherds discover. Here it is. Uh, they believed who God said they were. The key to knowing where you stand with God and not being afraid is believing who God says you are. Not believing who others say you are, but believing who God says you are. When you believe who God says you are, it gives you a total uh, facelift, a total life lift. And that's what happened to these shepherds. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you have a smartphone, uh, give Facebook a rest and uh, join me here. In Luke chapter 2, I'm just going to read a few verses, very few uh, verses and, uh, in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 8, on Christmas, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were terrified. The first thing I want to note is these shepherds were living in the fields. You know we have beautiful fields, I think, here in Natomas. It's one of the plans for this community is we have open fields. North on, uh, north of Elkhorn, there are beautiful rice fields. Out west, on the other side of El Centro, if you drive all the way to the river, beautiful fields, not just rice, but also corn fields. Uh, they're fun to go out and drive around and, and view. <laughs> what about living there in the fields? That's, another, that's another, another level of living, a lower level of living. These shepherds lived in the fields. That's where they did life. They lived in the fields. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I am close to someone who I know's lived in the fields for a long time, I don't, I'm not necessarily looking for a big hug from them. Uh, I don't. You know, I'm a little weary. Who are you? <laughs> uh, what do you want uh, from me? No doubt these shepherds experienced that kind of uh, discrimination. They did. Uh, they were without civil rights. They didn't have an opportunity to serve as a witness in court. Um, in fact, I would even argue that this, this global Roman world census that Caesar Augustus called for, I would, I would be willing to make a point that they may not have even been responsible to go and register in their hometown because no one needed their vote. They didn't count. They didn't matter. You ever feel like in your particular season of life that you don't matter? 
You ever go through a season in your marriage and family life where you feel like God doesn't care? Or as a young teenager, young college student, you feel alone. You're not sure if God really's got you, that he's really got this, as Barry talked about last week. (laughs) How do you believe who God says you are? How do you do that? And I would begin by saying that God says that you're so valuable that he's going to continue to do new and exciting works in your life. The drudgery that you might anticipate is not the drudgery that God anticipates. This is what one of Jesus' co-workers said. He said this, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Could we get that up on the screens? He who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you imagine these shepherds after having this experience with the light shone on them? Their career went on a totally different trajectory. One shepherd saying, huh, what are you going to do? This guy said, hey, I'm writing a book. This is great. Whoever has had this experience. Another's like, I'm posting this whole thing on YouTube. I got it all on. We're going to have so many likes. We're going to make income here in, in all genuineness. They were probably saying, this birth is the birth that our nation's been waiting for for centuries. And uh, we get, we've been trusted with this. They didn't go to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They didn't go to the, the, uh, those that run the market in Jerusalem. They came to us. We matter. And I hope that this Christmas you experience that kind of confidence that he who began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. How do you do that? How do you let God do this work in you that can give you confidence? I think there's just a few necessary tools. One of them is you've got to be in relationship with other Christians. You've got to resist that isolationism. You've got to be willing to pursue groups. And I got to tell you, on January 22nd of uh, next year, obviously, we're going to have a group sign up. This is where you sign up to be in a community group you, with other couples or singles, or you sign up to be in a community group with, with uh, people of the same gender, men with men, women with women. And the goal is really to become who God intended us to be in these groups. And I hope you to be about that because community is where we really become what God intended us to be. It's where we get to have friends around us who pray with us, who open the scriptures to us, who encourage us to let God, who began a good work in us, to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And one of the things you'll notice is that when you're afraid of where you stand with God, you don't want community. (laughs) You resist it. I remember a time in my teenage years when I didn't want to be around uh, some Christians because I felt bad about some of the stuff that I was doing. I kept thinking thoughts I shouldn't have. Boy, you need to be in community uh, it's, uh, it's important. Friday night was one of many parties that I had this uh, month so far. I think we had five parties last week. And uh, how many of you had at least two parties last week? Anyone? Anyone hit three? Four? Okay, fellow sufferer. Uh, lots and lots and lots of people. And yet, being out with people is so healthy for us. Don't isolate. How do we... No. How do we fear not where we stand with God? Here it is. 
You believe, you believe who God says you are, not what others are saying. And what God, who God says you are is someone that he began to work in and he will complete till the day of Christ Jesus. He's working on you. If you feel like he's not, he is. The second piece that's here in Luke chapter 2 is their response. The scripture says that they were terrified. They were terrified. These are shepherds. These are shepherds that have to de- that work at night. They live outside all the time. Their sheep are prey to predators like lions and tigers and bears, oh my. They are vulnerable to a lot of different variables. And they're terrified. There's a lot of things we're terrified of. Snakes, spiders, uh, claustrophobia, uh, arachnophobia, uh, uh, all those fears. One of the things people are terrified of, and I want to show you a clip, is uh, lightning and thunder. Anyone share a terror of lightning and thunder? Here's a couple that's out on a beach day in Australia. It's a, a, a day, a good day to go out body surfing. You can see one of them has a fin but they experience something that's terrifying. And when you, like these shepherds, experience the terrifying, it freaks you out. It's hard to find, actually, a clip on YouTube without cussing in it because people are just freaking out. Here's one I wanted you to see. Terror of lightning. Go ahead, Dan. Hey, we got, we, when are you guys watching ESPN back there? <laughs> can we, can we, uh, there we go. You play the game for a lot of different reasons. You play for championships. Wow. For, for money. But then- all right. All right. Here's the point. They were terrified. This gal's out on a walk, and uh, lightning strikes the ocean, and they freak out. And this guy, in his own, uh, in his own Australian words, he's like, "What's going on?" They. Third time to charm. We have no idea what he was saying. Hey, third time's a charm. Put it up for our AV team. Thanks, guys, for getting that together. Hey, when you experience nature, it can be terrifying. Here's the point. Sometimes we have to face terrifying things in our lives right now. They're they're not thunder or lightning, but maybe they're what some of our folks here are facing at Adventure. Real-life things, life-threatening illnesses in your 30s and 40s. We have couples that are going through that right now with kids. <laughs> no one expects that. Uh, on a lighter side, we have folks that are facing challenging real estate transactions that are, that's stressful. Uh, we have folks that are going through tough times with their kids. You know, when your kids graduate from high school, move on, you just don't have as much control, um, so they tell me, of what your kids do. <laughs> they get to own their own decisions. Sometimes it can be terrifying. Uh, we've got folks that are, um, are experiencing uh, unemployment right now, never expected it. Uh, they're equally terrifying. What do you do when you're going through stuff like that that's just, it's tra- traumatizing? <laughs> I think you believe 
who God says you are. How do you, how do you, how do you not fear where you stand with God? Again, you believe who God says you are. And this is who God says you are. God says he didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, strength, of love, and of self-discipline. He's given you what you need to face the fear you're facing. You're facing some uh, health and fitness obstacle that seems just unconquerable. Hey, let me tell you, God has given you a spirit of power and self-discipline and love to do what you need to do. You're facing maybe some some, uh, performance challenges that are going to require adjustments in your weekly schedule so you are able to turn the corner and get better. Hey, God has given you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Or how about this? You're facing some tough conversations between you and your spouse because you're contemplating at the end of this Christmas season of going separate ways in January. And you know the impact it's going to have on your kids. And you need to sit down and remember who you are to believe you are who God says you are. That God has given you a spirit of, uh, has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. And some of you are just going to have time with your spouses this, uh, this Christmas. And it scares you. <laughs> God has given you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. How do, you, how do you not fear where you stand with God? You believe who God says you are. Don't be afraid. God hasn't given you that spirit of fear. Now, sometimes we ask ourselves uh, the question, uh, hey, is there a time to fear God? Is there a time to fear God? Absolutely. For Christians, should we fear God? Uh, Whereas I'm asking primarily, how do we not fear where we stand with God? When is it appropriate time to fear God? There are appropriate times to fear God. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about this, but a few of them are, Jesus says that we should never fear giving our testimony that we're Christ followers. We should not fear giving our testimony that we're Christians. Uh, Because if we're afraid to tell people that we're Christians, Jesus himself said, if you deny me before men, my Father in heaven will deny you, deny knowing you. Oh, we should be afraid of any shame we have of testimony, of testifying that we're Christ's, that we're Christians. We should be afraid of that shame. Uh, we should be afraid of what is pervasive in our country, sexual immorality, pornography, um, sexual inappropriateness, which can easily just, you know, be understood, well, it's always been that way. Yeah, it has. It's probably been worse back in the Roman world. But we should remember that marriage is to be held in honor by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. Because God will judge the adulterer and the fornicator. We should be afraid of sexual inappropriateness. We should should take inventory of our own lives and say, am I doing anything that is making anyone uncomfortable? Am I doing anything that's stumbling somebody else? Is my marriage relationship one that draws people to God or one that makes them think, no, that's not really real for them. They're putting their faith in finances. They're putting their faith in circumstances. 
they're not putting their faith in God. See, their fear, their fear, why, do, why are people afraid? You fear because you're putting your trust in someone or something other than God. Yeah, we should, we should be afraid of that, of anything like that that can ruin our personal lives and our marriage and family life for generations. We should be afraid. We should be afraid if you're, a Christ, if you're not a Christian here and you've just been turned off to Christianity, uh, we want you to know that God loves you, that he's done everything that needed to be done on the cross. Our, our journey as Christians is about a relationship about a relationship with the one who got it all done. But if you don't have that kind of belief that Jesus got it all done on the cross, I ask you to search your mind and hearts on that matter. Because one of Jesus' co-workers, John, wrote that those who disbelieve in Jesus, those who say, hey, I don't want to have anything to do with him, those that make the choice to not believe that what he did on the cross was done, he says they've, They've already been condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There's reason to have a healthy fear of God. One of the writers says we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We should be sensitive to the voice of God in our lives. Let me ask you, if this week you're approached by a fellow Christian who says, you know what? Are you sure that what you're doing is really appropriate? Are you sure that's that's the kind of model that you want others to see in Christ? Harvard president's wife, Harvard president's wife, back in the early, late, mid, late, mid, late, or, back in the 19th century, who uh, wrote her Anglican uh, sister-in-law and said uh, she had just, this, this uh, Harvard president's wife had just read the book of Common Prayer, originating from the Anglican church, and uh, she just read some of the Sunday prayers about Christians going to church and praying prayers of repentance and she wrote her sister-in-law and said are are you taking your kids to church and praying these prayers of repentance she said i will never encourage my kids to repent of sin yeah way to go harvard uh you know they used to be a bible college we forget that this uh this wife of this harvard president had been touched by the light of Christmas. There's a Bible theme, and it's this, that men love to live in the darkness, but they're terrified of the light. The glory light of Christmas is not all chestnuts roasting on an open fire and Jack Frost nipping at your nose. The glory light of Christmas is not all comfort. There's something about the light that is terrifying. (laughs) Terrifying. Do you see the shepherds? What's happening here? You have a healthy fear of God? You want to. Brings the best out of it. Brings the best out of it. How do you do that? The number one thing is you spend your time with Christians that are growing in their faith. You spend your time praying. You spend your time in the Word. And I know a lot of you aren't readers of the Bible, so I've got a cure for you. <laughs> Play it. Do you do dishes? Do you clean the house? Do you do the yard? If not, somebody in your home wants you to. Play it. Play the Bible. Just play it. 15 minutes, just get it in your head, and it'll teach you a fear and respect of God all the time. How do I not fear where I stand with God? Well, I believe who God says I am. And God says that 
Uh, He is at work in me, completing me until the day of Christ Jesus. New works are coming in my life. I believe God has put a spirit in me that is courageous. It's not fearing. It's full of unconditional agape love, not only for others, but for myself. And I believe he's given me power. I was inspired by this ultra-athlete, ultra-athlete. This is a guy who runs uh, 100 miles uh, or more uh, at one time. Uh, And we, by the way, have an ultra-athlete in our church whom I haven't had a chance to meet. I want to brag about my three-mile race. Uh, But this uh, ultra-athlete, David Goggins, on your left and Navy, on your right, Navy, Navy SEAL, is meeting with this other guy, uh, Jesse uh, Erlitz, who's a former Atlanta Hawk owner. And both of them are ultramarathoners. That means they'll go out and run 100 miles. And uh, this guy on your right, David Goggins, is coaching uh, this, uh, this, this former Atlanta Hawk owner, feller, fellow ultramarathoner. And uh, they actually live together for a month. Uh, he's hired by the owner. And what this Navy SEAL... Uh, Gogan's guy tells him is that once you've reached your total peak, once you feel like you've given everything you've got, his, his kind of principle of coaching is that you've got 40% more. Once you've just tapped out, that's all I've got. You've got my best. Gogan says, oh, no, there's 40% more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I wonder if when God looks at your life, and he says, you know who you are? You, you've been given the spirit of God in you. You don't have to be afraid. He's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You've got 40% more. You've got 40% more. <laughs> How do I not be afraid? The third thing that I see here that is just, uh, it's simple. You've seen it. It's this next verse. Today in the town of Bethlehem. In the town of David, same thing. A Savior has been born, Christ the Lord. A Savior's been born. You know, Bethlehem is just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And one of the convenient conveniences of Bethlehem's location is that it was a breadbasket for Jerusalem. Bethlehem, you know, Sacramento is a, shares a sister city relationship, you know with the city of Bethlehem. You know that the former mayor, mayor of Bethlehem used to, li- used to live, and I think still does in Natomas. His kids have gone to school uh, at Natomas. I'm kind of proud that my youngest son kissed one of their granddaughters. It was his first kiss, and I thought, cool, Bethlehem girl, I like this. Uh, but you know that what's unique about Bethlehem is that also, it also was the place where shepherds raised up sheep that were sacrificed daily in Jerusalem. And some scholars believe that it is highly possible that these shepherds were the very shepherds living out in the fields nearby who were caring for sheep that were being taken daily to Jerusalem to be sacrificed. Morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, to remind everyone for their sins. How ironic that these shepherds would go to the manger scene and be told, this is Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who will take away all the sins of the world. You want to know who you are in God's eyes? That'll help you not fear where you stand from God? You're 
God's child, Christ's follower, that's been perfectly forgiven forever. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ was the moment you began a life in God's eyes of without sin, totally perfect. Listen to what the the writer of Hebrews says. He says that uh, we have been made perfect by one sacrifice. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Made perfect forever. Ever. Completely perfect before God's sight. And then he says, uh, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ covered all my sin. In a moment, you'll have a time to remember that in communion. But I've been made completely perfect. (laughs) How do I not fear where I stand from God? I realize that it has nothing to do with what I've done. It has everything to do with what Christ did on the cross. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That my faith in Jesus is not about what I do. It's about what he's done. Are you there? Have you believed that? Have you placed your trust in the Savior like that? You know, Christmas time is that season where you get some extra gifts. You get a lot of a gift certificates, sometimes to BJ's Pizzas or... Uh, sometimes to uh, Maggiano's, that's always a favorite, uh, sometimes to On the Border, and you get to go out and, and celebrate and, and have a great meal at no cost if you get enough and you budget it right, and people give you those multiple choices. But you know who, uh, do you know who the New Year's is hardest on? The New Year is hardest on table servers. Do you know why? In January? you know why? You go out and you take your family out to, uh, let's put you at Maggiano's. If you haven't been there, that's kind of a fun place. You go to Maggiano's down in Arden Mall, and let's say you got $50 of gift certificate, so you take out, you go by yourself. No, you take, you take, you take a friend, and uh, your bill is, let's say your bill, you were kind of naughty, you're at $75, right? And so uh, you're like, ah, that's no, we're only, paying, we're only paying 25 bucks for this, a little tip. So you, you take out your debit or your cash. And you're enjoying yourself, right? Guess who's not enjoying himself? That server. You know why? He knows what you're going to tip on. You're tipping on the amount less your gift certificate. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna be cheap. You're like, oh, this meal only cost me $6. What's 15% of $6? And he's like, oh, I hate Christmas. No one ever thinks of me. Do you know what? One of the things we should be afraid of is God gave us his son and gave us the ultimate gift certificate. Everything's paid for. The danger in our lives is if we get so comfortable with what he's given that we willingly and willfully disrespect the greatest table waiter ever, Jesus Christ, who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for others. And you know what we do? We willfully sin. We willfully are disrespectful to him. And you know what the same Hebrew writer says we do? We trample under our feet the Son of God. We trample the Son of God underfoot, treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified us. We just sin willfully. Let me tell you, you should be afraid of that. Because our God, our God loves us enough, he'll follow up. He'll pursue us and help us. Today, 
2,000 years ago, a Savior, a son of David was born. Have you ever made the decision to believe in the son of David? Personally, personally. Uh, this is a prayer I want to lead you in. Today, or 2,000 years ago, in the city, in the town of David, my Savior was born. And I am who he says I am. 2,000 years ago, in the town of David, a Savior was born to me. And I believe I am who he says I am. Imagine you not fearing where you stand with God. And instead, believing you are who God says you are. Believing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Believing that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Believing that you've been made perfect and there's no longer a sacrifice required for you. Imagine being there, knowing that you're God's child and Christ's follower. You won't always be a parent. You won't always be an employee or employer. You won't always be a spouse, but you'll always be God's child and Christ's follower. Perfect before him. Imagine this. And if you've never experienced it, why don't you join me in this prayer? Maybe all of you today will join me in this prayer. 2,000 years ago, in the town of David, a Savior was born to me. And I believe I am who he says I am. Let's pray that prayer. I'll lead you in it. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, we just agree that Jesus is that Savior that was born to us personally. And uh, if you have never prayed this prayer or would just like to this Christmas, I invite you to just to say it right from where you're seated. 2,000 years ago, in the town of David, a Savior was born to me. And I believe I am who he says I am. And if you're here and today's a first-time choice for you to believe in Jesus, that what he did on the cross was done for you, I want to acknowledge your decision right from where you're seated. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me today. First, any one day, I'm going to believe in Christ. That's me. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to celebrate your decision. Anyone today, say yes to Christ. Lord, please help us see ourselves as you see us and not fear where we stand with God, but fear the things we should because you love us so deeply. In Jesus' name, amen.